Welcome to The Room, where we talk about the hard parts of leadership that every great leader goes through, but no one wants to talk about. I'm Jenny Dufresne, host of The Room podcast and CEO of Leaders Transform, a business growth training firm. I am a global leader, former United States Marine, international best-selling author, community, and business leader. The Room is your safe space. We'll talk about the things that are difficult for leaders, the tough stuff that leaders aren't willing to be vulnerable about, but we really need to. So come on in, close the door, join me in the room. I know leaders and I know leadership. So welcome to the room where leaders talk. I'm incredibly privileged to have today's guest is Cheryl Mays. She's a CEO that's the chief experience officer of Rise and Shine Consulting and Coaching Firm. And a couple of things that are really powerful about Cheryl's background in terms of leadership. She's been a vice president of admissions in a national college um, system. She's been a director of development, and I've known a little bit about development, and that's a a serious role to be able to raise money and to, to, to pitch and sell a brand or convey a brand. She's been a television producer, as well as an international best-selling author of the book, The Joy of Work. And in her current role at Chief, the Chief Experience Officer of Rise and Shine Consulting, she has some really great things to share with us today about customer experience, customer engagement, and other things that we're going to talk about. But one of the most important things that I'm impressed by is Cheryl's journey as a leader. So Cheryl, welcome to the show. Glad to have you. Yeah. Hi, I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Thank awesome. You for inviting me. I'm, I'm really excited to have you because I was looking at your background and I was thinking about one, the world of development. So that's about fundraising for those of you who may not know. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and so you, you were in development for a few years and then you moved into a VP of admin, admissions in a national college system. But I'd love to just hear kind of your, you know, what's been important to you as a leader, particularly as maybe you came into leadership roles because you've had director level roles in the development world. What what was important for you as a leader, as a woman, as a woman of color? Like what were some of the important things for you, uh, for your leadership as you as you came into these different roles? You know, what's, what's interesting is that when you get into a role of leadership, it doesn't mean that you've always been a leader in a leadership role with the title. Right. right? Because you don't have to have the title to be a leader. To be a leader, right. And so, you know, when you now get the title, right, that's like, oh, my gosh. Now everybody is looking at you as the leader solely because of the title that you carry. And that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it can be. It can definitely be a yes, lot of pressure. That can definitely be a lot of pressure. And so, you know, I one of the things, several things, several things that I brought with me from being a successful individual contributor, because that's where it starts. Mm-hmm. Right? Most times leaders are amazing individual contributors, stellar performers, right? I was voted best in the company, which is the top 100 out of 15,000 individuals twice, two years in a row. And then they said, oh my gosh, you're so great at this. We're going to make you a leader. And I was like, okay, yeah. Right, I'll do that. <laughs> and then I got there and I was like, oh, but you didn't teach me how to do this stuff. Right, right. <laughs> so they took me, so, so I, I, I went through the ranks. I started out in the field. Again, Stella Performer, and they said, hey, you're doing so well. We want to put you over five organizations. 
So five locations is what we call them, multi-units. And so in that process of being over those units, I went into it as the mindset of me, right? Everybody wants to be fabulous. Everybody wants oh, to sell. Yeah. Everybody wants to get to the <laughs> next level. And so I, I, I led with that in my mind that every single individual wants to strive for that. And that was a rude awakening because I realized that that's not what everybody wants. That is very true. That is you know, that was my first lesson, right? Yeah. That was my first lesson that's is that powerful. everybody is not me as I was the individual contributor. That's no, powerful. some people just want to come to work. <laughs> some people just want to, you know, collect a paycheck. Some people are looking for other things, but everybody is not looking for that elevation to where you're being noticed by senior leadership and people are taking your names into rooms that you're not even in. Everybody doesn't want that. That is a powerful, powerful lesson, because I do think an area to your point that leaders can get very tripped up on, uh, especially if you are high performing as an individual contributor, that everybody to the point that everybody wants to do that. And it is it is the source of lots of miscommunication. It's the source of massive frustration, (laughs) to say the least. Um, and, and it also is, uh, I think there's also inside of that sort of irreconcilable differences, right. Which can lead to people being flushed out of organizations too. If a leader doesn't understand what are the real, real and true motivations of the people. Mm-hmm. So that's a powerful lesson. Was there other, other lessons or another lesson that you might've learned in that kind of, in that process? Yeah. You know, so that would have been lesson number one. I learned, I was on the job learning. That's how I, that's how I learned. <laughs> and what's so interesting is most leader roles, when you get into the role, your training, your official training comes in like maybe a year later. Right. You know, and, and you're like, I've made all the mistakes possible. Now you want to train me. <laughs> right. Right. Now you care. <laughs> exactly. And so I I had to also, I learned that. I learned that everybody isn't motivated in the same manner that I was. The second thing that I learned was the power of alliances, which I didn't, I didn't learn that going into this. And it, I didn't, it didn't dawn on me how powerful your alliances are when you're trying to navigate that terrain, that corporate terrain. Right. And it's kind of like being on Survivor, like the movie on Survivor is like, Everybody has these alliances and you have to figure out like what is who's who's going to be in my circle. Right. And so for me, that took some time because I I was always suffering from this. Am I worthy of the seat mindset? Mm -hmm. Even though as an individual contributor, I still a performer, but now I'm in this role. And, you know, as a leader, we have to be okay with answering that question. Because that question resurfaces every time you get a new assignment, every time you get a new team. Am I worthy? Am I worthy? And other people see your worth far before you see it sometimes. And so I had to have that internal dialogue. And I had a great mentor, too. I was able to find a mentor. And that was that was what really helped me along my path. But prior to that, I was just kind of looking at people, watching what they were doing trying to kind of overhear how they were speaking to certain individuals that were higher up. Like, what was that exchange like? Right. So when you get the ear of a senior leader, like, what do you talk about? Right. So that interesting so that they see you 
as an individual, as a performer, as a person, as, as someone that they would like to see more of? I think those are, that, that's the goal. And I think you raised something that's important. Like, I, I, it's sort of like, and I think there's so many people that are accident, accidentally sort of accidental leaders, mm-hmm. meaning this fantastic individual contributor. I always say this, like they get the tap on the shoulder because we have a vacancy or there's an opportunity, right? So mm-hmm. someone comes, you know, hair, a leader comes with their hair on fire and they tap you on the shoulder and they're like, oh, you've been doing such an awesome job. Like we have this leadership role. You want to move into it. And you're like, yes, because you're so fantastic. You get in mm-hmm. that role. And then it's like, we're all, we all become these accidental leaders because there isn't always a playbook. Even if you have kind of traditional leadership training, there isn't mm-hmm. all of, always a playbook for the, the two things that you describe, which are really powerful lessons. Building alliances. I've, I mean, I've known people who haven't learned that lesson until they're in SVP, VP roles, like very senior roles inside of corporations. Um, and, and then, of course, the other one is that everybody, some people just want to come to work and then at, at nine and leave at five, period, mm-hmm. and take their 30-minute lunch and that's it, um, <laughs> right? Make sure we get all that in. Um, but so as you've, as you've evolved in, as you evolved in your leadership roles, that also meant that you had other people who were coming as team members. So you had a group of individual contributors. Were you ever able to translate those lessons to whether they, you know, whether they were high-performing individual contributors or just were there leadership lessons that you were able to start to convey or to pass on or pass down to other people who were in your, you know, that you were that you were that were on your team? Absolutely. Um, and I think that's the role of leadership. That's the role of leadership. It's not that you solely go there by yourself, but that your team is being groomed for whatever position they would like to be in, that they're being groomed continuously. And so I, what I didn't want was for individuals that were moving up to have the same experience that I did, because sometimes the learning curve can cost. Yep, right? There's a cost to a learning curve, and that could absolutely. be budgets, it could be monetary, it could be human capital. There's a cost to the learning curve. And so I wanted to lessen that cost for my folks. If I couldn't, you know, eliminate it in its totality, let us at least lessen the cost. And so I started succession planning for all of my folks that were on my team. Or succession planning where every week we got together, I talked to them as directors. I helped them think as directors. Mm-hmm. And then they started taking positions and they started you know, getting out into the community and being on boards and they started being uh, connected in various ways that showcased who they were, mm-hmm. which is great because now they're starting to feel that that self-esteem rises, your confidence level right. rises, your voice becomes more confident. And so then when it's time to put your name in the hat, right, you don't have that hesitancy. Right. You don't have that moment of, mm, I don't know, what if they don't call me? What if, what if, what if? You don't have that hesitancy. You go, you know what? I'm putting my name in the hat. I'm going to let the universe take it from here yeah. because I'm prepared. And I think that preparation, I, I love I love hearing that because it it is, again, our responsibility as leaders to prepare the people uh, and to give them, frankly, better preparation sometimes than, than we've gotten. Um, mm-hmm. But I love also that your people had what you were sharing. And I think, again, this is a great lesson for leaders who listen to this podcast to take away is that 
your folks were not just developed to be um, great in the next level up, but great for five levels up. Um, I had a conversation with a mentee the other day and I said, you know, think like the CEO of the Fortune 100 company that you're a part of. Think like that CEO. What are, what are, that, what are his, in this case, what are his problems that you can start thinking about the solutions for? Because it mm-hmm. stretches you in a way, right? It like really kind of begins to stretch you and pull you in different ways to think Absolutely. to think more broadly. Um, you know, and then, go ahead. I was going to say the other thing that it does to circle back around is that you are now aligning with a different set of people. Correct. And your conversation is shifting. Absolutely. And so now you can have different types of conversations where you no longer um, shy back from interacting with certain people based on right. their titles. Right. Are you now? Right. No, I have something to say because I'm thinking like a director now. I'm not thinking, Absolutely. you know, like a, um, an individual that's just told, just do what I tell you to do. Right. And I, that, that's a, that's super important. Um, because again, the, what something else that you shared was confidence mm-hmm. is that there's a confidence that comes from, um, stretching our thinking. There's a confidence that comes from being in rooms that we wouldn't normally be in or mm-hmm. pursuing a board seat and having that as a leadership experience in a community. And especially if we're still an individual contributor, but it, those are the kinds of things that build that, that leadership confidence. And so as I'm listening to you and thinking about this journey of yours, one of the things that you'd shared is that there was a time when you had to you know, kind of break into the boys club. And as I'm listening, my sense of you is that you're, I would say, fairly forward in terms of your delivery, your presence, your, your, your voice. And so how did you, like, what were the things that you had to do? Because a lot of women in leadership roles are you know, there's either glass ceilings or glass walls or glass floors or whatever there is. Um, but here we are, we may be the the first or the one or the only or what have you in, in a particular environment. And there's kind of this code that's going on that we have to figure out. So how did you, what was a story for you to kind of break into this boys club um, and start to be able to demonstrate your leadership and be able to make, you know, real change inside of your organization? So let me set the stage for you. So I was on two teams as I was a VP of of admissions. I was on two teams. So we was on a marketing team, which was all female. And Mm -hmm. I was the only African-American. And then I was in within my team, within my division, which was all male. So there I was the only female and the only African-American. So so I had this experience in, in both facets. Now, Going into the boys club, I remember, this is so interesting. I remember the first time we all met and they took us off to this excursion place where we were having a retreat and we were going to get our goals in place and and everything like that. And so we arrive and it's, you know, we arrive, we have dinner that evening. Then the next day is the actual session. And we're in there and they got in, of course, before me. And I don't know how that happened. I think I was just in my own head having to get myself to the place of, okay, walk in the door. You know, you deserve to be there. You're a VP, just like they are VPs. So title-wise, we're all the same. All the same, yeah. Right? Um, and, and so when I went in, though, it was like there was a huddle. 
And I don't know. It wasn't, I can't say it was an intentional huddle. It was, it was guy conversation, right? Basketball game, football game, you know, um, the manner in which they were speaking. And then here I am and I'm kind of, I don't watch football unless it's the Super Bowl. I don't watch basketball. I do like sports, but not enough to to have the conversation, right, right. not to the level that they were having them. I was just like, yep, I love the color of the uniforms, right. really girly <laughs> stuff. That's really the girly thing in there, you know? <laughs> um, I always go for the underdog. That's me. Right, right. But th- so, so we get in there and now we're having the meeting and everybody is voicing their opinions about, you know, this is what my division is doing and uh, this is what my region is doing. I think we should do this and this. and I'm, I'm, I don't know what it was. I'm just sitting there. And I'm expecting for some reason for them to say, okay, Cheryl, tell me what you think. But that didn't happen. And so during the break, my boss, my leader, took me to the side and said, Cheryl, what's wrong? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And it was a gentleman. And he said, as much as you talk to me <laughs> on the phone, mm-hmm. You're not speaking up. You're not you're not speaking in the manner that I know you are. And that resonated with me because he took notice that I was showing up less than. And sometimes it takes a person to see who you really are and then to see you in a position or in a situation. And they go, no, that you're not showing up. Right. And so I had to really come to terms with that and go. Okay, people are seeing that I'm not showing up because they know they've either heard who I was, how I performed, or they've seen me in some form or fashion, but they know my performance rate. And here I am remaining silent. And I thought I felt bad afterwards because I said, I'm not doing justice for other women that's coming through the door. Right. I'm not setting a place for them at the table. And so it it took me, it took me, honestly, it took me probably another day or so before I literally said to myself, and I had to have a talk with, you know, all the people that we talked to, to David and Paul and my my other cousin. (laughs) (laughs) I had to, because you need to be built up. You need support. You know, when you get into this leadership role, people think that you have all of the massive of friends. Sometimes that leadership role is lonely. Very, very lonely. Yeah, do you know? Very and it can't be because you don't want to tell people about, you know, the things you're not able to do. Right. You don't want to tell people about the employee that just, you know, was mean or rude or you can't seem to connect to them because that means that you might not be considered a true leader. Right. So it could be a very lonely space. And so I had to go outside of there to get people to build me up and say, Cheryl, what what, what do you mean? What You went into a meeting and you didn't say anything? Please. <sighs> So after sleeping on it, <laughs> the next day I showed up and, and it was a totally different meeting. It was a different atmosphere. I was there before most of them got there. So I wasn't the last one coming in, which means they couldn't start the conversation and have a sub conversation without me. So I started the conversation and I did something very funny. I started talking about dancing with the stars. And so. <laughs> I, I changed the conversation and they're like okay so now this is the way we're gonna go and I was like absolutely and then from that point it was like the respect was there the camaraderie was there now we can joke we can you know um talk about other things but it took that that moment and you know it could have been 
five minutes, an hour, two days, that's a moment. It's really juicy. So there's so many threads on that to pull. So the first is, I think, for all leaders everywhere, you know, when you do bring together your colleagues or your peers, uh, just this is peer to peer level, is Mm -hmm. being very mindful and conscious of what kind of environment like that's a level of leadership self-awareness. What kind of environment have you created for a retreat or, mm-hmm. you know, or a meeting where, uh, and I think this off, this always happens, not just often, it always happens that there's a sports conversation because it's a shorthand. It's a quick way that I have a 13 year old son and I am astounded by how quickly camaraderie is built around something like a sports a five minute who likes what sports team and why is that guy good, bad, or indifferent and who should we trade him out to? Like it's literally a five or 10 minute conversation, Mm -hmm. but it is a, I don't know that women have the same shorthand, but what I've seen in male culture, male leadership culture, and I use my 13 year old because it's, it's now, I can now see it at a young age. Mm -hmm. It is a, it is a very quick um, gelling together mm-hmm. that women, we don't, most women don't have that. Like we don't right. have those kinds of, um, that you can walk into any room and, and start that, but sport, you all like, literally you almost always can. Right. <laughs> so I think one of the awarenesses or for, for leaders listening to this today is, you know, what kind of, what kind of conversations are the, the kind of, you know, the, 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 the chatter before we get started, what are those conversations and is everyone able to belong or be included in them? That's a real powerful lesson. But something mm-hmm. else you said, Cheryl, that really resonated for me is as in this case, as the only of the only, you know, so the only African-American, the only woman walking into this environment, the fact that you had to prepare yourself psychologically and emotionally and spiritually to walk <laughs> into that room is something that I'd like you to just kind of unpack that. Like, so you walk into the room and you're the last person there, but what you said was, you know, it wasn't because I was busy trying to just be late. Like, you know, I wasn't, you know, curling my hair that I actually was having to prepare myself to step into this room. So talk a little bit about like, what was the conversation in your head? What were you fighting with Mm -hmm. internally? Like, because I think this is really important for people to to recognize is happening. Absolutely. No, there was so there was a couple of things ruminating. Number one was I had to can I had to remind myself, not convince, but I had to remind myself that I've been through the I've been through the journey. Right. I started mm-hmm. out as a front line. Mm-hmm. Right. So I know exactly what we're talking about because I didn't just come from another company. And I didn't come at another company at this level. I grew up in this company. This company literally trained me. So I know everything about this company. And I've had the opportunity of being in multiple roles. I've had the opportunity of, you know, cross training. I've seen, so I've seen and talked to campus presidents, all of that. And yet at this moment, I still felt like something's missing. I'm not, I'm not bringing something to the table, but that was me. That was inside your head. Yeah, that was inside Mm -hmm. my head Mm -hmm. because once I got into the room, right, and I was able to settle down, and again, like I said, my, my leader had a conversation with me, 
And after that, coming back into the room that afternoon was totally different. But it was totally, a, it was a different feeling from me. I felt different. You have a tendency of, and I, and I use this expression, we all have heard of imposter syndrome, right? right. And sometimes we use it to a nauseam. Right. It's real, right? It's real. And it doesn't matter if you are a individual that's a cashier at a restaurant, you know, or a server, or if you are a VP, right? We have executive coaches. Right? Right. For train, a reason. Right. Exactly, right? That right. train senior leadership because there's those moments when there's still doubt. And that's human behavior. Yeah. And when we realize that this is nothing that's, that I'm less than or other people haven't experienced this, I have to first come to terms with this is human behavior. And we all suffer from elements of fear. And fear doesn't have to be something that you're afraid of. It could be the new, right? It's just right. new. It could be the right. different. It's it just that element. You know, I'm also a speaker before I go on stage, like three minutes before I hit the stage, right. you've got the butterflies in your right. stomach. Right. You know, now that I teach them how to fly in formation, and very when nice. I open Good. Them out, they disappear, but yeah. you still have those moments. And I think yeah. as leaders, we have to be okay with recognizing it. The more self-aware we are of it, then we can say, okay, that is just a moment. Okay, I'm going in. Do you, do you, so in that, and thank you for that, because again, I I think it's important for people to recognize, and this is why I call this um, the room, you know, where leaders talk about the things that we don't, we don't normally talk about out loud. This is a real huge, huge one. Um, Am I in the right seat? Like, did someone make a mistake and accidentally drop VP of admissions on me (laughs) overnight when I was sleeping? Like, you know, if they really knew. You know, we, and all of those conversations are, to your point, are all in our head. Yeah. Right. They're all in our head. I think the challenge can be is if we're not aware that they're just in our head, we can actually sabotage ourselves, right? We can get into an environment much again, like you, you shared. So for, you know, the dirt, you know, half the meeting, you are not in your power. You are not in your wisdom. You were not in your experience. You were waiting, which I think is something else I wanted to pull on. Mm-hmm. You know, waiting for someone to give you permission to speak, um, give permission to share your expertise and wisdom. And so I think it's important for people to recognize in leadership roles, everybody's having this experience, even if they look like they've got it all together. That is not true. We all are afraid. I mean, imagine any of the presidents in any country around the world they are, they have fears every single day did they make the right decision the wrong decision did they should they have had that special advisor or that person over there or you know maybe they should have said that word differently and so you know so i think that it's important to recognize that we are all ultimately just human beings and we all have fears no matter what um so so you've taken this uh, this journey and and learning to master your voice and share your voice and your your wisdom and your power and you're the the CEO of your own of of your own mm-hmm. company Rise and Shine Consulting and Coaching and you have a particular uh I don't want to call it initiative or if it's a program um called Master the Sale Academy so I'd love for you to just share a bit more about that and maybe how your experience kind of intersects with all of this absolutely um, at Rise and Shine Consulting and Coaching Firm, 
three areas that I focus on is leadership development, because that's just my passion string. It's one Mm -hmm. of my passion strings, communication and then customer service. And the reason why, uh, Jenny, I focus on customer service is because we always we often hear the term scaling. Right. Right. Everybody wants to scale to five and six figures. And when people see that and they go, oh, my God, this person's going to teach me how to scale. I'm about sustainability. So you scale. But now how do you sustain your level of success? How do you ensure that it's not you don't go back to feast and famine again? Because we all start there. Right. Right. (laughs) Now, how do I sustain this? And so I open up the academy, which has experiences. And I use that term experiences. Because people, I've, I've done surveys and I've talked about programs and I've asked people about programs. And they go, oh, yeah, I had a program. I quit it. And it's mm. so easy when you think about the manner in which we use our words, because our words are very, very important. And when you say things like programs, people go, another program? Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. And then people quit programs all day. People all quit time. programs. Yeah. I've not one time heard a person say, I left the experience. Oh, that's great. Experiences are transformational. That's great. And so the academy, everyone that comes into the academy, for me, I want them to have a transformation. Even with customer service, right? I want them to transform and be able to leave the academy and truly be the unicorn, because that's our mascot is a unicorn. Right. And be the unicorn in your market, in your industry, in in your department. And be that person that stands out, be that person that understands the benefits of providing exceptional service, because there's a reciprocity that comes from that. Right? Your customers, Absolutely. Come back, they expand their services. They tell their friends, family and colleagues, you get new customers, you increase sales, referrals, profits. That's scaling. That's also the ability to be sustainable, because the more I engage with my existing customer, I get the opportunity of keeping them longer. Absolutely. And I know most people that are listening to, to this or viewing it, you do not want a one-time customer. No. You don't want that one-time transaction. No. It, so let us think and let us do what the Amazons and the Netflix and the Barclays, what do they do? They focus on bringing those customers back. And what is it that they do? Well, we know for a fact, 5% retention increases your revenue 25 to 90%. And it's much easier to sell to an existing customer. Absolutely. It yeah, someone who already customer. knows you, likes you, trusts you. Absolutely. It's it's, it's, it's a knockout of the park essentially because they know what they're getting and they know they know the they know the value of what they what they get from 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 your company. Um, exactly. And so just to to close out on that, mm-hmm. what I've done is I've extracted the customer service element out of the sales process. Because usually it's given about five minutes of the sales process. Like, oh, yeah, and don't forget about your customers. So I have taken it and made it, give it legs of its own. And so now it is a full-on opportunity for people to come in, talk about retention, talk about the customer's lifetime value, referrals, even pitching, right? even how to pitch. Because awesome. oftentimes people pitch the item or the service, not the experience. Not the experience, Yep. Yeah. yeah, that's fantastic. That's awesome. Um, well, I've, I've, uh, I've, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Um, so as we prepare to, to, to close out, so you have the master the sale Academy, but tell us and share with folks, what is kind of your ideal, like 
the people, the customers, the, the, the corporations, the companies that you most like to work with. Share a little bit about what that is and what you're what you're looking for um, as Absolutely. people are listening to us. The Academy has been open now about a year and a half. Company has been open much longer. The Academy is a, is a new initiative for me. And to date, I've trained, I've done 100 trainings, 42 agencies, 15 industries. And what I've found is that it doesn't matter what business you're in, as long as you understand four beliefs. Number one is that customer retention is vital to your business. When you wow your customers, they tell other people. They give you referrals. Mm -hmm. Referrals equal new customers. New customers equal revenue. Those are the four business beliefs that I start out with whenever I'm talking to a business. The businesses that I really like working with the most are the ones that get it. The ones that get the impact of really the difference that you can make. Right, The ones that say, you know what, I want my employees to go to the next level. I want them to have better conversations. I want them to be better problem solvers. I want them to be more um, effective in their communication. I want them to be able to take a negative experience and turn it around to a positive where the customer says, you know, I was really unhappy with your service, but. Fantastic. And here I still am. And here I am. Yeah. And I think that's a, I, I love, I love, I love the, the, the kind of quantifiable part of this where it helps people remember easily, right. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're here to do. And I do think that there's the other thing that I, in terms of what I like, what I, what, what resonates for me is focusing back on the people mm-hmm. that build our companies, right. So our employees, yes. And I think we've gotten accustomed to be kind of in this churn and burn uh, focus around the clients or customers that we have that we don't spend, we don't train, we don't think about the huge cost savings really of retaining customers, right? Mm -hmm. Because there really is, is a huge cost savings as well as a, as is very profitable. But um, I'm excited to hear that you're like, that's, that's what you focus on is helping people remember that the humans who have purchased your services or your products are really so important to put your very best foot forward as a company, or even mm-hmm. as an individual, if you're an individual, if you're a coach, or if you're, you know, if you're inside of a major company, that it's super important to really value those relationships and treat them with the value and the kind of sacredness, if you will, that they, that they have. Yeah. So. And I think that the other piece that goes along with that is when we talk about customer, it's not only the external customer, it's an employees, right. it's those internal customers. Right. They too need to feel valued, appreciated because they then extend that to your purchasing customer. Absolutely. And you Absolutely. got unhappy employees, yeah. they don't care about uh, yeah. your customers. <laughs> no, they'll blow, they'll blow you up. They'll blow you out. I've had people, I've had people who come to even to do like a plumbing service. They're like, oh, I can't stand this company. Da, 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 da. And you're huh? like, Wow. So <laughs> what kind of plumbing job am I going to get today? Exactly. You know, so you're like, what is this going to look like? Um, Cheryl, it's been really a delightful to talk to you. I, I, I'm I really grateful to hearing your voice and learning a bit from you. Uh, all of your contact information and ways to get in touch with you uh, for people who want to participate uh, in the master the sale Academy will be in the show notes. So you'll, so that'll all be there to tap into. I would strongly encourage folks to 
um, to to take a look and to to learn more about the work uh, in Cheryl's company, Rise and Shine uh, Consulting and Coaching, because people are really our business. No matter what business you're in, people are your business, right? Amazon isn't Amazon because they just sell great. They sell everything. It's because they have great people who, from the driver to the fulfillment folks, they have these great people. And I think that's something as leaders that we need to remember and, and reconnect to and recommit to. So Cheryl, I'm excited. I, I, um, I again, appreciate your, your gift of time today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for inviting me. Hey, it's Jenny. Thank you so much for joining me in this week's episode of The Room, a safe place where leaders come together to talk about the things that we don't often share out loud. If you enjoyed your time in The Room, please like or subscribe on your favorite platform and leave a review. And if you want to learn more about our important work with leaders, head over to the website, leaderstransform.com and continue to be connected to our community. Thank you again for listening and make sure you invite someone to next week's episode of The Room.